0: morning and thanks for coming to talk about power, I've decided that power is at the heart of so much of what we do in the church, and that I think so many times we go about our existence in our ministry without even realizing that there are power structures all around us that go in all directions, and we're not even aware that we are playing a major part of those, and other people are playing that, and then we wonder why things happen the way
1: they do and we're, we're, we're there to pick up the results. But
0: particularly more than the whole issue of power and who am I in power and who are other people that I work with and you wouldn't believe my, the staff that I work with and their power and all that, if we could maybe not go there quite as much and talk about the power of music and how that involves worship and how it uh, how our power is used or not and how we are used to that's where I'd like this session to go, mostly, although in some of the reading I've done about power, I did inclusive things about the church in general because I thought there were things that were particularly helpful for me, and I thought they might be helpful for you as well. So we will go there a bit. but um, first of all, power, um, exploring power, power is an inescapable component of human, human existence because it, because it is an inescapable facet of being relational. So all relationships are power-based. If you were to think just for a moment about family, we all are negotiating power relationships even within the people that we work with most closely. Uh, College students negotiate power with roommates. We negotiate power within organizations, within a core organization. We have certain power structures and we're always trading power. And when I take a step here, that vacates a position that you might take so one move changes the move of everybody so I like to think of power relationships as a field and if I am here and this is this place that I have staked out could be large or small if I move for whatever reason to here everybody within that field within that organization within that imaginary group everybody's power shifts and everybody changes places which has a lot to say about why somebody new moving to your community, especially if you're a smaller community, how one shift of a family changes the whole dynamic of your organization. The larger the organization, the more people it takes to make a shift, unless the person moving is a great power. A certain power that might be recognized as great in that particular set. And notice how I said that. Because some powers are not powerful in some places when they would be powerful in others. But you see how that all works. So we're constantly changing positions. And every time one person, one thing shifts, something else shifts. Because somebody else has a spot to come and fill. Or there's a a spot that's left open. But power is inescapable. But power is not bad. Because it is... Here, it is not—it is not negotiable whether we have it or not, or whether we take it from someone else or whatever. It is here. All relationships are one way or another based on power, and we're constantly trading power back and forth. The church is continually shaping and being shaped by all of its relationships. So, just as we were saying, everything that everything that is affects what the church does in some way or another. Being everything from the outside, everything from the inside. The church is constantly being shaped and reshaped according to all of these relationships. Power is not to be be seen as only a repressive force. For indeed we seek power and we readily submit to it. Now think for a moment. What are some ways that you might have submitted to power already today? Do I Okay, exactly. Traffic laws. If you drove here, there was there was power all around you in the laws and the sign and the red light determined whether you go or not. Stoplight determined things. That was power structures over you. That's what else? Clock. Okay, the clock has immense power. Yeah, this is the time I must be here. Yeah, and we submit to that power. We give that clock power. Very good. What else? Okay, yeah, exactly. We we ate breakfast because the power of hunger said I should eat, and then the power of knowing what would happen if I don't, and I will be hungry by whatever. Okay. I listened to the radio this morning when I was getting ready early in the morning, so I submitted to the power of someone else to tell me what was going on in the world, and I believed it, and I engaged with it. So, I allowed someone else to have some level of power. We don't all listen to the same news and believe the same power, or whatever. But, here we go. Alright, you submitted to power by coming to this uh, session this morning. Because you allowed me to have the opportunity to say perhaps more than you do. And for me to be the one to produce the blue document. Okay, so we submitted to power. And then I submitted to power this morning by. Putting myself out here and giving the chance for you to show up or not, and for me to feel ever how I might feel about whether or not you did or did not show up. So you see how your power is mind, and we're all trading this around, and it's an ongoing thing. So we never, we never just have it. We're always negotiating it and trading it and giving it and being pulled from us and all kinds of levels so of that. Okay. Um, But power is not always repressive, and that's important. Uh, It can be seen as repressive, but power holds the possibility for growth and change. And that's very important that we think about that. While the flow of power from person to person will likely be asymmetrical, power becomes dangerous when it is immovable and it lacks the necessary inertia. And that's one of the most important statements that we make in this introduction. Because when power doesn't move freely, that's when we start to have problems. When power lacks a a movability, or it lacks an ability to be transferred and to move freely, that's when power becomes repressive, when it can't move in a free way, (laughs) and it, um, it comes dangerous. But it is asymmetrical. And what's what do we mean by power being asymmetrical? It's, it's not equal, okay? And it will like asymmetrical meters of music would be um, something that isn't even it doesn't work out on the edges. There's not four here and four here or two, two here, two here, there's three and four, you know, and seven, eight or something like that. So something is it's not quite level. Right? And power is always that way. It's not ever just an equal thing. Because you would have the power one time unlike the next with But when it becomes immovable, that's the problem. And what are some kinds of power? So that's just sort of a little bit I actually have a list of about twenty things that I've kept talking to one of the students in my office and saying, what really needs to be in here for this 20 items? And those are the ones I've chose. So we could have talked a lot more there, but we didn't. What are some types of power that are present in the church? Now, there are other types of power that are present in other places, but some particularly in the church. What about the power of age? How is the power of age present in the church? Okay, and I'm going to be here and I've been here through five of you. Therefore, I deserve the power to say what I believe. You know, I was here before you were born. Whatever. So the power of age. You now, I believe the power of age has diminished in our culture. Significantly. From what it used to be. I mean, there used to be a whole lot of respect and a whole lot of deference to age. We're not doing that so much these days in most places. And I don't think this is because you role that it doesn't mean you're wise. There are a lot of old and unwise people that I've met through the years. So, you know, it doesn't mean that those two things go together. But they might go together, well. But there certainly is power in age, and certain people will play that card as it were. As um, our children sometimes say, you know, really want to play that card, Dad. You know, or I say it to them. But anyway, sometimes that card gets played a lot. What about the power of youth? Have you thought about that? What's the power of youth? Do this because we don't want them to leave. We want them to stay. We want them. They are our future. You know their energy. We need them. We don't have a few. Uh, could be any number of ways that young people have power, or we even can play. They can play power, or can, we can give them power by saying, "I want to be like them." You know, I'm not young anymore. I wish I were, and we defer in a healthy way. My belief on that, just to take attention, is we have to be true to the age we are. And we have to be honest about who we are and who we are at a certain age. Otherwise, we're silly. And, and people take us as sad. They feel sorry for us, but we don't know who we are at a certain age. I mean, you could look at me and guess how old I am, and that's undeniable. Yeah. We can do what we can to do the best but you know, it is what it is and the reality is, as a teacher today, I'm perceived as a father figure I'm not an older brother nobody has an older brother in college as time yeah. so I'm a father figure, or I might be bordering on the grandfather figure, depending on the, who their family is and how their family has worked out, I could be a grandfather few years, I will be really making that transition. In five years, I will be as much grandfather as father. But if I don't know that, then I'm kind of a silly person, and I'm not taken seriously. So power of youth. Our culture values youth. We are afraid to be older, um, all those kinds of things. We are afraid to lose younger people, so the power of youth is very silly. And it's, it's significant more in some places than others. What about the power of education? How do we see that played out in the church and in the music ministry? Um, not nearly as so much as it used to That is exactly right. We can't play the education part so much anymore because people don't care. It doesn't have the power amongst it wants to. But it has more power in some places than it does in others. And we tend to, in churches, we tend to be... We tend to migrate toward enclaves of like-minded people. And so in places where the education thing is, is big, it does tend to stay pretty big. And if we don't find the power we want to find in certain places, we tend to migrate toward other places where the power structures that we understand and we value are value. Which I believe is one of the main reasons that churches are divided Our churches. People decide on churches the way they do. I think they decide that because they Weigh their power often against the power of others, and they decide, you know, I couldn't be powerful in this place, so I'm not going to join this church. People are too smart for me. They they speak a different language. They speak um, white-collar language, or they speak blue-collar language. We better believe those are different languages. And, yeah, that's as cross-cultural as it is to be serving in another figured out a couple of years ago, I had a student serving in a community outside Waco, go and the student just kept hitting the wall everywhere. And I I would say, well, here's what they're thinking. Here's what these people are thinking. And he would say, well, how was I supposed to that? And, you know, I know that because I am a, a, from a blue-collar family. I mean, I totally understand in that world. But he had, he might as well have been serving Larger city in another country that he was connected in. City, five, possibly. Yeah. So that's a huge thing: the power of education, but the, the words, the way we use words, we say words that people understand, and we intimidate people by our words. That's <laughs> that kind of of okay. How does that happen in a How much? Use the language, let the people rise to your level. Well, I don't believe it anymore. I think we can use, we can say the language that people can understand. Or we can say, musicians might call this whatever, but here's what it is. We might use both and interpret as we might in a cross-cultural setting. Because music, a poor rehearsal, is a cross-cultural setting. There are many languages being spoken, and we must be interpreting what we're saying. Otherwise, we're intimidating people, and that is not a price I see. Okay? And we, so we use all of that. I was in a church once where every time people spoke at a business meeting, they came to prepare statements. And they read from what they had written. So what kind of congregation is that? It's quite nice because people had thought out their stuff and they weren't reacting in the emotional thing. But what about the, the people who were, who did think in the moment? They did speak because they were the powerless power is not even. It's not free-flowing. The power is social safety. how might that look in the community? He's the whatever. She is the something at Baylor in this community. You know? That's why right. The whatever. Which says all kinds of things. So we have all the social safety. Some, some people's personality types will overwhelm other groups. Exactly. So all kinds of power. Power of position. In some cultures, that's much more important than it is in others. If you travel in some cross-cultural settings, power of position is huge, and you're introduced by what your titles are. In other places, you know, your titles mean nothing. It's interesting that titles, I think are coming back with the vogue as being something. Every student that I get an email from at Baylor, who is kind of on the, on the tour side of things, says, you know, Stephen Carroll, um, director of the or whatever, member of the something, president of the this. And they have all these, all these tags on their emails. And it wasn't just five years ago that you wouldn't find a tag on any student email. So students all over the place are into what am I doing to do am I? Very interesting little phenomenon. I don't know what it means and what it's saying, and if it needs some kind of shift that's happening in a huge way. Financial power. How power, are financial power present in the church? <laughs> yeah, we all know that. No. Yeah. We it means something different sometimes when one person tells you, I'd like us to sing this song sometimes, and another person says it. Maybe it shouldn't. But if, if, if you believe it doesn't, then you're pretty stupid. But you have to know it, and you have to weigh it against other problems. And the way that I think that we do that is we hear all this information, but we also listen to the person who might be perceived as powerless, and we also work to make that person's voice heard, and then that balances the power. Yeah. Uh, power of finance, The financial power, we talked about uh, power of pragmatism. This is something that I've kind of recently kind of stumbled onto. Bit. But what's the power of pragmatism? How might that be present? Okay. All right. We'd like to do this, but you know, we've got to keep the lights on. We've got to do all this pragmatism. How might it also work in a worship intercession? It works. It'll accomplish the task. And this would be harder, but this works, we already know how to do this. Or we already have the music for this. Or so did this, whatever. So, all these kind of pragmatic things where we, in a sense, take the power, we take the easy way, or the pragmatism. And some churches, they will draw a crowd. That's what the people would want. Whatever. Doesn't mean that's bad, it just means it is powerful. It's a power of the sweaters. Uh The power of mass appeal. What might that be? Why? Okay, we all know that's what the people want. That's what they will respond to. When we did that before they responded well. Therefore, this mass appeal thing. Do you realize that these things are not bad? What does your room say? What does your church say? What does your dwelling, the, the, the location where you worship, what does it say? And we talked yesterday in the session, what does this room say? And the first thing he said, the most obvious thing are the pipes. And then I said, so when you think about pipes, what what is that message, does that say? And we said, well, yeah, we, are not poor. we are not poor. And there's no way that you can say we are poor and you can have this room to worship it, and frankly, sometimes I say that about Baylor. I said Baylor is in every conceivable way a wealthy place. Everything about this place says we are not poor. So when we do something at Baylor, I tell our staff, frankly, I said we, we can't do it on the on the um, cheap because people will say you have the money, so just, just spend it on me. Even if that's not true, and if the money were not in mine, I'd have access to it. It still says that. But a room speaks volumes, People walk into a room and they know. They walk into your church, they drive up to your church, they observe it from a distance and they know. And so we need to think about that. We need to, and the thinking about it is not an easy thing. It's not easy to say, how would we welcome into certain things? People in this place. Did this place even allow us the opportunity for build people here? Yes? One other Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, that might but, but we've always done it that way, therefore we must that we have this expectation. But power of tradition is huge. How long does it take to build a tradition? So Two weeks. <laughs> Some places. I always say in a college community, uh, it's two years. If you do it once and then you do it the next year, the third year, we always do it this way. Uh, and, and students are very tradition oriented. You know, they, they will fight for tradition more than older people, actually. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff. They wouldn't they want that to be true, but um, it is true, whether you like it to be or not. Alright, let's get some things, some observations about power in the church. And then again, this is a big picture power stuff. But I read this, um, this a, a big part of the book this summer about power, and I wanted to share just a few little bullet points of that. The church cannot afford to be casual or complacent about something as formative to its life, which is power. Power is present whether we acknowledge the life. And we've said that. But you must be aware of it. Uh, healthy churches must be vigilant to analyze power. When much has happened, the potential for power abuse is high. Um, And the interesting point there is that the potential for power abuse is greater the more active the congregation. That's the point that I had never thought about before. Which, for many uses, ministry, if you're in a church where there's a bunch of things going on, the potential for abuse is greater. Why? particularly for those in pain also very important god may speak to those who are not visible in the power mix. and my question was who is not in power and when have we asked those people what do you think what is your perspective i learned a few years ago that sometimes god is most visible in the people that are most on the margins and I don't mean the margins, meaning on the edges, but people who my people see as nearly powerless in right organization, they may offer you the most wisdom. And God may be most present in those people. And we must protect those people who don't fit that don't fit the norm. I would say in a choir session, just as an example, a lot of my macrocosm of life is the Labour men's choir, which has about 100 guys, and that's sort of a way that I imagine life a lot. But I try to be very sure that the guys on the edges are feeling included, the guys who are pushing the envelope in different ways. If those people feel included, what, what are the middle, what's the middle ground? Well, if the, if the people that are pushing are included, the middle people are going to be well within that circle. Okay. So if I can value the person who doesn't sing as well, the person who isn't making good praise, the person who isn't leading well, the person who's making some different, some alternative life choices, the person who, whatever, then the people in the middle are going to feel safe and care about so I think we often need as leaders to listen to the perceived powers. If you don't do that, sometimes those groups band together and, and there's all kinds of power struggles that we deal with. And it happens all the time in churches. That people are not listened to. Uh, churches are, always have certain levels of inequality and these may be subtle or hard to recognize from the, from the inside They may be intentional or not. Churches have lots of levels of inequality. And you know, if you think about it, that your church has those. But the more you're in an organization, the less you see the inequalities. Because the more you are a part of them. We don't intend to be a part of them, maybe at the outset, but we are when we're a lot of our time. What might be an example of that? How we perceive that, how someone looks and how they dress. We talked about that in a session later this afternoon about all we are is a part of worship leadership. We actually talked about dressing that, but that might be something. How we look at people, how we don't look at them, how we subtly dress people. There are all kinds of levels of inequality where you know you're in the club or you're not, and you know where the power is, and you're not a part of that. When you're a we see that in a great big way. Not so much as staff people, but when you're a member, how many of us have been a part of some organization lately that we had, in which we had no perceived power? It's really healthy to do that. But do you realize that some of you cannot go to any place and not have some level of power? Yeah. Because of who you are, and because of how you are perceived, and even because of your persona. Here. A couple of years ago, um, several years ago and I started going to some regular counseling sessions because I was trying to figure out more of who I am and the bigger scheme of things and how do I relate and keep myself from getting beat up all the time and different things like that. And one of the things that I was told was that you probably don't have the ability to go into a, an organization for very long and not... Be perceived as neutral. Because if you say something, you're going to not be neutral. And if you don't say anything, you're going to not be neutral. So you can't simply show up and be quiet because your silence speaks so loudly. And if you say anything, your voice is going to speak loudly. So if you know that, then you can at least be diligent. But you cannot be neutral. Now, I would suggest that all of us are probably that person in some places and at least in our church. And that wasn't meaning every place in the world and the places that I run around and like, around here. But I, that was really, really, really telling me. Because that way, I didn't, I began to understand, well, when I go to the meeting and I decide ahead of time, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Well, that was not being helpful either. That was perceived as when he always had something to say. So, yeah, you see power? See why I think this is important? It's really a big deal. And it's a lot to carry sometimes. But do you have a choice of carrying it? No, you do not. But to not know it is the a problem. The, power, uh, the powerful do not always get their way. Elected leaders do not necessarily possess power. Anyone can help create a community and anyone can help destroy it. That's really important. Um, a long time ago, I was in a church as a college student, and I had been an advocate for a change in the budget uh, that would accommodate music and youth. I was a combination minister at the time. And everybody on the committee agreed to the change Everybody said, oh, uh, this will be great. This so will be just fine. But we came down to the vote. We didn't have this session like your church is to budget. It was a small church. Came down to the vote. Some people that I had never seen before came to the business meeting. A man stood, who was very much my perception on the periphery of our congregation, and he spoke against the budget shift, and the church voted by a great majority to not support that budget and change. And I learned a lot about power that night. I learned that the people on the committee did not have any power. And that man had a lot of power. And these people perceived that he is our neighbor and he is going to be our neighbor and he runs our lives one way or the other. Uh, we're him, to him as they say in the And we believe that he and some other and I learned a lot about power, and I learned that just because people tell you this is okay, it doesn't mean that they have the ability. And elected officials, they have nearly—I have mean, all the power. Yeah. And in that situation, I think it was a more feared thing than a respect. I it was after I, I, mean, I was in touch with that community through my life because my life was from that community. And I think it was maybe more fear-driven than that, it was actually respect-driven. Yeah. power is so huge and it so many things. So one of the questions I always tell my students is when you are in a new place, need the leader. work within all the people that lobby us. In a sense, your power is constantly being lobbied. People are speaking to you to have their power become uh, in place. And we have to absorb all of that, the chaos of those conversations of sorts and then speak as well as we can to that whole group of people that are lobbying us for power. Does that resonate with some of your life sometimes? So, we have to absorb that and then speak for it. Indifference within the church to injustice, suffering, and power abuse steals away from it, any voice of action to Jesus in the world of ours. Because um, Jesus will ultimately stand for the suffering and stand for those suffering. So, when, we are, when our church doesn't speak to that, we are in, in the face of Jesus, I believe, as it were. And it's not going to be wrong.
1: Revisiting the power of music.
0: Uh, just a few quotes here. We must recognize the power that we hold through music. Music has the power to move us emotionally, to deepen us spiritually, enrich us intellectually, and stir us toward visual living. And that's from my book. Uh, but what happens if we don't do these things? Is another way to look at Martin Luther wrote that whether you wish to comfort the sad, to terrify the happy, to encourage the despairing, to humble proud, the proud, to calm the passionate, or to appease those. Uh, fully they what more effective means than music could you find? So the power of music. John McClure wrote quote also yesterday, while all aspects of worship have formative power, none has a more formative influence than music. We all know the power of music, power to move the soul, power to sculpt and chisel our emotions, power to excite our imagination. So, we're making a, a loop here now, what about the power of music? Uh, discernment is at the core of power, and John McClure I well points this out discernment involves taking on the mind of Christ and determining what is best I underline that statement because I've been I think a lot about discernment and I'm very interested and want to be a person who understands discernment better and so the idea that discernment involves taking on the mind of Christ and determining what is best is, is I think a helpful statement it involves knowledge, insight, love, and always the input of the community of faith. So there is, no, there is no individual discernment. I don't think discernment ever happens completely individually. It needs to happen within a communal environment. There needs to be other people that speak into that. And not just the people. Anytime we're talking a communal environment, where I believe we're talking about not just the people who agree with us, but do you speak to the people who might not agree listen to those people. Because we can always find at people that are quick. And we like those people. And we, you know, we feel good about that because they think us good about us. But it's not mature. It's not wise. Even though it feels really good. And we're all drawn for it. You now this whole next section is stuff that uh, is actually section titles from the book uh, from uh, the recent book that I read, but it speaks a lot about the power of music, the music of, a tr- of worship has the power to inspire and recognize to God, I think we know that to be true, i was going through this quickly, music has the power to express creativity and to reflect God's creativity, it's one of the major ways that we express our creativity and that we reflect back the creativity of God that God has then invested in us, so we're simply getting that back. Music has the power uh, to reflect music inherently associated with God's creation. Music has the power to help us express ourselves freely and openly. Many of us would be pretty closed people if it weren't for music being our outlet emotionally and even physically. Even physically we're able to express ourselves. So who would you be if you weren't able to music were not an outlet for you? I think it's an important question. Uh, music has a power to it that connect us to humans in their various life situations. And I believe that's one of the reasons that we are drawn not just to congregational music, but also many of us to choral music, and because it's the people that we sing with, the people that we collaborate with, that give us the joy. It is me. Really, I don't believe there is any, well, you can have choral music without community, but I don't think it's, I would almost go to the level where I say I don't think it's worth it. Because I think the communal aspect of music is really, at least for me, that's what really makes my life tick. That's huge. Um, And I think that's the way that we bring people into, if we want choral music to be important, we must first establish a safe community. And if we can establish a safe place for people to make music, people will be eager, I think, over time step into that safety. When I ask the Venom why every year, what is it that brought you to this place? What's going to bring you back? What do you tell your friends? We have this big town meeting every spring and we all imagine how this organization could be better and what can we do to make it better. They always say, what draws me here is this is a safe place. This is a place where i can come and let my guard down and I know that I'm happy. And I know that Well, you know, lots of things are much better than that. That's pretty much what we're all seeing. So that's a sacred thing. That is very much a sacred thing. But music has the power to give us a a vehicle through which that can be connected in all those ways. Uh, Music has the power to mark special times and occasions. How many of us could mark our lives without music? Oh my goodness. Yes, last night we were singing in the sweet by and by that arrangement, the um, healthy arrangement that we read. And I leaned over to this, the student and I said, this was something my grandma's people. And that was uh, nearly 30 years ago. Yeah. But it was, it marked a moment for me and it took me back to something very, very special. And then I was looking it. Music has the power to represent all people. One of the ways that I have most learned about the people It has the ability to connect us a lot to kind of. heaven. Most of my imagination of what heaven might be like is really pretty much all connected to music that i I don't guess that would happen. I'm not really drawn in to perfect strings and glitz and that kind of thing. You know, that doesn't really even, I don't know if i like that part. But, but I'm confident I'm going to like music. It really does connect me there. Music has the power to help us stand in solidarity with worldwide Christians. Nothing more powerful than singing some like a song and for them to hear it sung back. It's nothing more amazing than that. And it connects us in the solidarity that's established. I just got back a few weeks ago with a very inspired for the Legal Bitspire Trip to Kenya. We took 50 guys in Kenya for two weeks. And the ability for music just to be an instant connection. I mean, we could start singing in a marketplace and we had 150 people together just like and immediately, we, we were singing songs from their culture. They were singing. We were singing. Well, you know, we're all dancing. Everybody's out here. And, and the connection. And then we would leave. And even we were there 30 minutes, and, and people wanted us to stay. And music was tangible. I mean, it was, you could feel it. You could see it. You know, you didn't just sing it. You it was more. It was more than that. So much more. Um, music has the power um, to move beyond self-consciousness in order to show our love. I think music would move us to be way outside ourselves in a way that perhaps many of us no other art form might do. It has the power to help us worship with our bodies. Um, I, I think movement in music can be really be separate. and um, so I'm trying to become a better bodily embodiment person through music. That's something that, as awkward as it might be sometimes, as um, I'm not just you know, I'm not good at it, but I still want to be fully applied through music, I'm able to let this be applied. How is how to express our intimate experiences and our most public ones? What, what art form could express the most intimate experiences, something that you couldn't even know how to talk about, and then something so public and so vague, and so shared and to be able to do all of that? Wow, that's power, uh, it has the power to express the full gamut of a Christian experience. Even in our brief worship time yesterday, we had such a wide range of the kinds of ways that we can experience. It has the power to create unity. We can come together around it. And communities, worship communities, do that on Sundays. We to come together with expressions. Um, it has the power to give us a voice to offer to God that we couldn't offer privately. How many times have you sung something and you immediately knew that you couldn't have expressed this over enough? You couldn't have thought of it. You couldn't have sung it. You couldn't have spoken it. You couldn't have written it. Wow. And you're saying, thanks be to God. It has the power to heal. Have any of you been in such pain in your life and music was the one thing that came cross to you and brought into to a place like that. Certainly been true in my life. Yeah. So you guys know, were nodding through this session and saying, yes, yes, yes. Always saying, now I must share this with others. Why is it that I that I believe in this? Yeah, A few years ago, my wife is an English teacher. And a few years ago, a student raised his hand in her classroom day and said, you know, Ms. Bradley, I think you really love this stuff. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I really do. You know, And I just don't think there's a higher compliment that we could be given for somebody to say, you know, I, wow, you really seem to believe this matters. And he's like, well, yeah, absolutely. I do. Yeah. And, and it should come through in here we are. It should just ooze from us, in a way. I, I love the fact, again, I use the men's choir as an example, but I do several little different things around Baylor, and the men's choir is one of them. But the guys at the men's choir, oftentimes, they think the only thing that I do at Baylor is direct the men's choir. <laughs> and their perception of me is that's all I do. And every once in a while, one of them will come and say, you know, I saw one of you read the book. No, whatever. And they don't think that I do anything except that it's fine. Right. And I don't think there's a higher compliment than that. Because I'm so glad that they believe that is the only thing that makes my life pulse. Is that. I'm glad they think that and I hope that I could be that kind of person that the different places I spend it it would be as if that's the only place that I ever go. Which I think is a, a really nice um, odd <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I also tell my students I, I will choose to take that as a compliment. <laughs> so we can oftentimes cho- choose to take it as a compliment or as a visit. Yeah, depending on how we, where we're staying. Uh, has it the power to aid in transformation? Why? Wow. Has the power to break down barriers? Music it just there's so much historical evidence. Read some uh, evidence. Some things in, the, in my book. There's uh, some examples from the Civil Rights Movement. talked about how everybody was discouraged and how they didn't believe that they could go back out and march one more time. And yet they started singing in the basement in Birmingham. And in a few minutes they stepped right into the rain and on the march to Selma. And they stepped into the rain and started again. And the music changed them and it lifted them, and moved them forward. Um, how are music and worship involved in power? Consider these questions. Who determines what songs are sung? Who makes those determinations? And in different faith backgrounds and different denominations, the choices may be made by different people. I believe they should be made in some way communally, not by votes and that kind of thing, but I think they somehow need to be made in a communal with a communal input. That can take a lot of forms that it needs to be communal. And if you don't have voices of minority, and if you don't have people in the room that are suggesting things that you've never thought of, then something is wrong. Okay. And yesterday, this song, Oh Great God, Give Us Rest, that we sang in worship. I would like to tell you that I found that song that I did. Somebody else found it and said, Oh, this would be a great song for this worship. And I listened to it and I thought, yeah, this is Great stuff. I'd like to tell you about that, it. That, you know, I didn't. So there you go. The best ideas are probably not yours. Are <laughs> mine? They're probably mine. <laughs> Actually, um, who are the power brokers within your congregation? And who are those people? And how do the power worship power brokers? And who are those people? And how do we come together and to negotiate them? What groups within your congregation are less who are they, and how do you make the point of hearing? What groups are more empowered? What groups power less? when people feel that they have no voice yeah. How do you utilize the power that you've been given give, as we think about all of this power structure? How do you utilize that? What power do you share? It's a good question. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. What power do you share with your business ministry? share with us, set. let's talk about that for a second. If you have to decide between the two, and neither one of them matters to you, well, let them decide. Or if it doesn't matter a whole lot, any any decisions that can be shared, let them be shared. Even within a quarrel, this Do you like this when we do it this way, or what, what do you think about this? Which one would you prefer? Pretty soon, you get people that really are thinking and engaging, and they start to actually offer input. And sometimes you can't take that publicly, but again, the mid part of offering say what if we were to do this and oftentimes i'm so glad they did because it matters and it helps but in a music ministry setting what kinds of things do we share how much how much power can we share and i believe most of the time when we share more we are then empowered to share even more and we suddenly start to realize that it's not all about how we think it actually some people Important stuff to think about. Now, we're going to talk about delegation, and that's a whole other topic. We're not going to go there right now. But how we share What power do you guard and why? Okay. Sometimes we guard power. I believe we guard power most often because we're insecure. Okay. And we don't ask someone because we perceive that they will believe, that they know more than we do. And we actually may know that they know more than we do. Into know that we know what they already know. And we might as well just be honest about it. How many times has that worked with an accompanist in your congregation? I've worked with a whole bunch of accompanists who are a whole lot smarter than. And better musicians. I've learned to receive input from accompanists and say, What did you hear in that passage? And just call them out and say, What did you hear? Because when I in and I come Others. Has anybody ever told you that you were an intimidating person? Okay, We all are intimidated to somebody. Everybody intimidates somebody. So being the intimidation factors is one of the hardest things in the world to analyze. Because you don't intimidate yourself. Okay. But to realize who you might intimidate and what that is. How, how might an outsider view your power within the worship set? One of the telling things for me is to see a small child stand on the views on Sunday morning and die. Okay. Who does the child believe has power? You. Yeah. And the truth is you're probably the only person that child imitate the entire worship. Of. So that child believes you have more power than the pastor. That child could be right. <laughs> and the only person that might not know that might be the <laughs> pastor. And I don't say that in a bragging way, I just simply say, you better know it. And you better use it well. Um, how does the modern um, worldview value for power for words versus the postmodern worldview suspicion of words affect the power didn't hold in your congregation and its future? We'll talk about that second, but. In a modern worldview, which is not where we're headed, okay, the power of words is everything. If you say it right, it is real. It is true. It is accurate. It is exactly yeah, it's real, true. Now, postmoderns would say words are just words, and they carry no more power than anything else. I would say they probably agree with that for the most part. But the difference in the way that people perceive words are not. Now, if words were so powerful, why would our church in a committee meeting a few days ago, weeks or so ago, why did we spend about 45 minutes editing a three-paragraph document? If the, word, the words were powerful, and we still couldn't come to agreement that this word really had the total essence of what we were trying to say. So words are not the stats of communication. They attempt at communication. They do not speak accurately. If that were true, why is it that our words are all misperceived? And why is it that we all find ourselves in more trouble today through email than we ever had when we had phone conversations, or even better when we had face-to-face conversations? Because words are not representing us as well. Okay. So words are only words. They do not carry ultimate power. How might the power of music and the power of words differ from more conservative denominations to so those with a broader liturgical Do you think more conservative denominations are more word-centered or less word-centered? They conservatives are more word-centered, that's why we have discussions about things like inerrancy and those kind of things, because it's very much word-centered versus others that are more broadly centered in other communicative styles, okay, and that's why there's one of the reasons why sermons are longer in more conservative churches and not so long in other churches because words are received as much, much, much more powerful and that's why preaching has been the end-all, be-all of it is the ultimate experience in more conservative denominations which will be shifting if you come to my future session later it will be shifting that There's no evidence to the contrary. Even though some of us would like to see that be true, it, I, I, you know, whether we want it to be true or not, does make it or not? It or not. Uh, how might I cultural a cultural suspicious of authority view your power, the power of other worship leaders, in the church in general? Uh, people that are very suspicious of power, younger people particularly, how might they view the of worship How might they view the power structures? Very interesting study. Very interesting to talk to younger people about that. Uh, How might what steps might you take to distribute your power? Where can you sit that for? And just because you've given away power before and somebody abused it does not mean that you're now heard of the rise again. It just means you gave it away the wrong way or whatever. Does it mean that you can't do that? What are the inherent dangers of holding power that you don't know that you have? How does how does one possess his her power? Um, assess his overpower power accurately, and why is it important? And I wrote several pastors have to slide that statement because I think that's the crux of where we're headed today. What are the inherent dangers of holding power that you don't know really you have? If you you can't wear power as a weapon against people, or proudly, or any of that, but it is. So to be arrogant about power is completely wrong, but to have power and not know it is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. Okay? Is that, is that connect? So what I'm going to believe that somewhere in the line of knowing what power you possess and where. it. warnings and then we'll have a moment for a couple of questions. The church's music leaders must be good stewards of the power that that has been invested within them. We must repent of our continual misuse of music's power. In many ways, we'll talk about manipulation in another session. Music has been wrongly used within the church and elsewhere and we must continually repent of the ways that we intentionally or unintentionally misuse music. To live within the world of music leadership is always to be at the risk of misuse. Lots of thoughts that we can go through. Harold and I have a lot of comments and says Christian musicians must be particularly cautious that you create the impression that God is more present when music is being made than when it is not. That worship is more possible with music than without it, and that God might possibly depend on his presence if we <coughs> Okay? So you see the power there. Alright, so these are the warnings. Now this is the be careful slot. Okay, and the last one our sensory experiences during worship all take a back seat to what we know what we believe, the truth of the gospel. It is not our singing, attitude, earnest desire, or orthodoxy that enable us to draw near God. It is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the path of our sins, magnifying the cross, confronts our tendency towards self righteousness and self effort. And I thought that was a very good place to shut down and say, save the blood of Christ, you know, we were worthless, we have honestly can't do anything otherwise, and we are throwing ourselves with the exact Okay, a quick question.